Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And once again, welcome back to Horror Month, where we try to delve into as many fun, obscure, uh, little seen, little loved horror movies as possible. And boy, oh boy, do I have a perfect one for you today. We are talking about one of the Possibly most minimalist minimalist movies I have ever done on Staff Picks. In fact, maybe one of those minimalist, minimalist movies I've ever seen personally. And that is the 2014 horror movie Creep. Which, I will tell you, is a perfect title for this movie because it is fucking creepy. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we're going to delve into this one. I don't know how many people have seen this one. I don't think it's all that well known. Again, it's not quite 10 years old. Usually I make sure these movies are 10 years old before I feature that on staff picks. But this one is such a unique little slice of just creepiness that I got to talk about it. And of course, it could not be horror month here on staff picks without uh, bringing back my probably most prominent horror guest. He has been on three times before. This is his fourth appearance always horror movies <laughs> he's forever sending me horror movies recommending horror movies to me so it is perfect that i must by law bring him back every year for horror month welcome back to the show horror author matt carter oh uh, it is a pleasure to be back mario <laughs> it has been a while what's the last episode we did uh last episode we did was um the original halloween halloween oh yeah that was a fun one okay <laughs> So what have you been up to since then? It's been a couple of years. Just kind of uh, remind my listeners who you are, what you do, and why you end up being a guest on this show so goddamn often. <laughs> yeah, last episode we did was back in 2019. Since then, I have published my first solo horror novel, uh, Bennytown, which is basically a haunted house story set in a, unnamed, in a variant of an unnamed uh, rodent-based theme park. <laughs> Um, and other than that, uh, my wife and I have also been running an anthology horror fiction podcast the last couple of years, the Shadow Storytellers. We are just about to begin our second season this October. How's the podcast going? It is, I, I <laughs> you know, I, I used to think you made this look easy and I gotta say, uh, no, pod, podcasting is tough, fun, but tough. Yeah, what uh, a little inside baseball here for our listeners. Podcasting is the recording of the podcast is the easy part. Like this stuff we're just doing right here, this is easy. It's all the research for the episode that's a bastard, and the editing, which is the bane of my existence. I hate editing. I, I, have you found the same thing in your podcast? Yes. Yeah, it'll take about uh, two hours to record a fifty-minute episode, and then about a week from there to edit it and sound um, re noise reduction, all that work. Mm-hmm afterward for each so you get about a week's worth of labor in to cram into one episode and because we're doing fiction and we want it to make it sound good that also is including reshoots re-edits and trying to make it sound consistent because we tend to record in two different places but it it's a rewarding experience it's helping me stretch my um, short story muscles on top of everything else and make me understand that i don't exactly have a voice for radio, but I do enjoy attempting it. And that's got to kill you because your dad did have a voice for radio, right? 
Yes, my dad was um, a radio personality for more than 20 years, <laughs> and I happened to inherit, rather than his amazing baritone, I inherited my mom's nasally Wisconsin voice. <laughs> yeah, Matt and I will flat out be very open. Neither one of us has a great radio voice. I hate hearing my voice on podcasts, especially because it's so high. Like, I, I've mentioned this before. My normal voice is much lower like this, but I, I speak quiet. I'm very quiet. So to get it up to podcast range, I have to go do like this, and then it gets higher, which I hate. That drives me insane. Yeah, for me, it's whenever I laugh, I feel bad for our neighbors because I have this high-pitched yipping laugh like a hyena. <laughs> you can probably hear it halfway around the apartment complex. <laughs> so your podcast is just you and Fiona doing it by yourselves, right? You have no editors, no no publicists or anything? Nope, this is just the two of us, and um, you know, we the most we do for any outsourcing is for our art, um, which is a one-time deal for our theme music, which we get Fiona's dad to do, and for the uh, second bedroom that we borrow from a friend's place because her apartment is a lot quieter than ours for recording. Okay, yeah, for staff picks, it's just me. This is one thing I always tell people. I do the all the editing, all the research, all the you know, scheduling and everything on top of all my other podcasts. So I cannot believe I've actually cranked out like 140 episodes by this point. Like I look back, I'm like, how did I possibly do that? Because as you yourself have said, this, it, it, we make it look easier than it is. This is a lot of work, these shows. And you are a machine. If I were wearing a hat right now, I'd tip it to you, but it's too hot here. And if I wear anything on my head, it's just going to become sweat. Okay, well, you don't have to kiss my butt. I already cast you on the show, so you've done. You've already done your part. Oh, thank you, but I thought it was part of the Four Timers Club deal that we had to. <laughs> yeah, you are, I believe, the very first. Well, okay, it depends on when I release these episodes. I, I like for for Horror Month, I'll just let people in on a little background info. I record eight episodes. I'm recording this in August, even though you're going to hear it in October. I don't know the order that I'm going to release them in. It'll just depend. So <laughs> I'm trying not to tip my hand which ones I've recorded first. You may or may not be the first four-timer on here. We'll just say that. Well, I'll be one of them, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> okay. That being said, now that you guys have been reintroduced to uh, the dynamic between me and Matt, again, we've known each other for years, for almost 20 years now, maybe even uh, not quite that long, but yeah. So creep this movie Holy you crap yeah you turned me on to this movie again matt is always recommending stuff he's got about a 50 percent hit rate i like i like I, I love about 50 percent of them about 50 percent are not really for me but he's always throwing stuff at me this one has always stuck with me as one that is special now <laughs> why? why why do i think this movie is special what is so weird and unique about this movie matt Okay, I'm not sure what's made it special for you. For me, you and me both, we've watched hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds of horror movies between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And over time, you do get a little desensitized to stuff. It gets a little bit harder to scare you. This movie consistently scares the crap out of me. <laughs> the first time I watched it, it was one of the only movies of my adult life that actually made it difficult for me to sleep afterward. Wow. Now, why is that? Without tipping too much of the plot, why does this movie make it hard for you to sleep? Without tipping too much, it creates the experience of being stalked very vividly. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful way of saying it. There's a sense of dread in this movie and a sense of realism that you really believe stuff like this could happen very easily. Yeah, it's like the closest you're going to get to almost watching a movie that feels like 
a snuff film at some points without it actually being, you know, overplayed grisly or violent. It's just you're watching what looks like real people and a real crazy person and shit going off the rails in such a way that it just it feels like you're just watching something on somebody's social media platform. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to sum up this movie for people who may not be familiar with it. There's two people in this movie. There's two actors in this movie. There's not a hint of music anywhere in the movie. It's really just video camera footage of two dudes just having a relationship, and it starts off friendly, and it goes very, very wrong, and it gets very, very creepy very fast. And again, it's a minimalist movie. There's hardly anything going on. I can already see some people might not, not, might not like it who are used to traditional horror movies. They'll say, well, nothing happens. It's all just suspense. Yeah, goddamn, it's all suspense. It's like Halloween just stretched all out for, it's only, what, 77 minutes. It's so goddamn suspenseful. This is one of those movies I find so unnerving, even though, again, it's not the traditional horror movie. There's no blood. There's no gore. There's a couple cheap jump scares, which I'm not too thrilled about them. They don't need to be there. But the sense of dread is so palpable. This is one of the highest recommendations I could ever give for a horror movie. I would back that up thoroughly, and I, that that's what impressed the hell out of me, that it stuck with you that much in spite of its very obvious jump scares. Yeah, and I got to say, this last viewing, I'm like, you know, I know it's coming. Do I have to watch? I know, there's six. I count them. This is what I do. <laughs> I count these dumb jump scares, because I don't like jump scares. I think they're abusive. I don't really think you need them in movies. But I can forgive them in this movie, and I apologize to anybody who watches this movie doesn't like jump scares. It's It's not really a jump scare movie, right? No, on the whole, it's more about psychological tension building and um, something that I know you and me are big on, social awkwardness. <laughs> there is a lot of that in this movie. It uh, brings me back to the invitation in a lot of ways of just sitting in on a situation where you're watching people, someone's acting weird, and you're wondering, okay, at what point is it socially acceptable for me to get the hell out of here? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, this ties into so many other movies I've done on Staffix. It just fits the formula perfectly. In fact, this is, has a lot in common with two movies I've already done on Horror Month that I believe will be released before this. There's a John Carpenter movie called Someone's Watching Me, which is about stalkers. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is Stalker Month. I'm doing stalker movies this month. <laughs> and then the other one this reminds me of, of course, is The Blair Witch Project, another found footage movie. Like This is like the love child of those two movies, which I love as well. Nice. I, you know me, I love the Blair Witch Project. I have never, I think I've probably heard in passing of someone's watching me, mm -hmm. but if it's going to show up here, I guess I got to watch it now. It's a stalker movie. Between that and Creep, I mean, they, I'm not sure which one's the better movie. They both do stalking, but in a little different way. Fair. Yeah. Okay. So how did you first hear about Creep? Because again, you turned me on to this. When it's modern horror movies, it's either you or your wife or my daughter, Vanessa. One of you three is going to turn me on to it. How did you come across Creep for the first time? Oh, man, it's boring, boring stories. I visit a lot of horror websites and just keep an eye out for stuff that sounds interesting that I've never heard of before. And I can tell what will and won't click with me. Mm -hmm. And just seeing this one consistently popping up, on lists of underrated horror movies. You know, you see it pop up next to The Invitation. You see it pop up next to Frailty. It's like, okay, if it's showing up with all these movies that I have a lot of respect for, I should probably check it out. And I did, and like I say, I first time I watched it, I had trouble sleeping afterward. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember my first viewing of it. I've seen it four times now. It's on Netflix if anybody wants to go watch it. It's really easy to track down. I just remember thinking I've never seen this particular movie before. It's just different. I love the fact that it's apparently the love child of Misery and My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about a fascinatingly pompous mix that transforms itself into something absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Okay, I got to talk about one thing that I read about this movie, and I'm sure you are already aware of this. So this movie is just two dudes hanging out up in near Big Bear, and I have a little more to say about that location in a second. It's just two dudes hanging out. One of them answers a Craigslist ad to go hang out with the other one and videotape him, and it turns very creepy very quick. But what's interesting is I was reading the trivia of this movie. It's almost entirely improvised. They had no idea where it was going to go when they started filming. They just had a bare bones, you know, idea of what this movie was going to be. And as they were making the movie, they could not decide if it was going to be a horror or a comedy. <laughs> and I find that so fascinating that they, like, they got to the end of the movie and they shot it two different ways. It could be funny. It could be terrifying. And apparently their friends took a look at their footage and said, you know, this would be way better as a horror movie. So they just got rid of all the comedy stuff and it's straight horror, but... It wasn't necessarily designed to be a horror movie, and I find that so interesting. Well, that goes in with my theory that there there's a very fine line between comedy and horror. They work on so many of the same principles of build-up and release like that, and I'd still argue that this movie is absolutely hilarious, but in a very visceral and uncomfortable way <laughs> that's um, both funny and scary at the same time. So I wouldn't call it a horror comedy, but it triggers the same parts inside of me that make me love it so much. That's interesting. I got to think about that. Okay, we'll talk about that more as we go along, because this is a very, very, I cannot stress this enough, what a psychological movie this is. <laughs> There's a lot of interpretations in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, one more thing. So I saw this movie. This movie is set up near, near Big Bear in a town called Crestline, which... When I first saw this movie, I had never been there. Now, for people who don't know Southern California, Los Angeles is just a big blob that kind of stretches out into the desert, goes on forever. But if you get out to a place called San Bernardino, which is about an hour outside L.A., hour and a half, you go north into the mountains, you get this place called Big Bear, which is fantastic because it's higher elevation and there's snow and it's not as sunny up there. It's much The weather's much more mild. There's lots of woods. It's kind of uh, isolated. It's its own little world. And this, that's where this movie is set. I had never been to Crestline before I saw this movie. Since then, I have been there like five times. It's one of my favorite places. We've been up there and rent cabins for Airbnb and stuff. That is the most wonderful place. I love Crestline. I can also pick out every single location in this movie where they filmed it. Oh, cool. So, yeah, Matt, I got to take you and Fiona. We got to go up to Crestline. I'll give you the creep reality tour. I can show you the actual bench at the end. I know exactly where that bench is at Lake Gregory. Oh, my God, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so this movie means so much more to me now that I know Crestline. I know that area so well. Oh, cool. I, I, I love going to horror movie locations. I've been to so many in so many different states, but this one would be a really special, weird one. That <laughs> that bench, my God. Yeah, that bench is right there. And we're kind of spoil. I don't want to spoil the movie too much. It's right there around this really well-populated and fun lake called Lake Gregory, which we, my wife and I have walked around several times. It's a pretty little hike. It's a nice area. But there's such a different meaning when you know it from this movie. <laughs> no kidding. It's look behind you. <laughs> 
Okay, anything else you want to say before we delve into the plot and the psychology of this movie? I mean, aside from this being roughly the experience of what it's like to go to Mario's house, <laughs> I'd say let's get into the movie. <laughs> you bastard. Now I'm never going to get visitors here again. <laughs> now, now, do you know anything about the stars, the two guys who made this movie? I didn't really do a lot of research. Do you know much about them? Um, I know Mark Duplass uh, is kind of a fixture around the indie scene. He's had a few handful of TV shows as well. I don't know anything about uh, Patrick Bryce, the other lead, other than that he also directed and wrote this movie, and I have crazy respect for him for it. Okay, yeah, and that's really all you have to say. There's two guys that wrote this movie together, that filmed it, that edited it, that improvised it. And it's so, again, it's so amazing what you can do with horror movies. You can make something out of nothing. And again, that, that description has never been more apt than Creep, a movie which is going to get under your skin to the level that most movies do not, yet almost nothing happens in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's an experience rather than a collection of moments. Yeah. But again, this is one I would recommend to horror fans. It's not too unrelenting. It's not unpleasant. It's just creepy. That's all I can say. It's a movie you won't forget. It's, it's, I, I pride myself on recommending horror movies to people who don't like horror movies. This is one I really recommend to anybody. I just love this movie so much. I'm very happy to hear that. I don't know if I would go quite that far, but maybe I, I'm, for someone who's a huge, as, as huge a horror fan as I am, I'm kind of a baby in a lot of ways, too. And um, if something easily scares me once, there's a very good chance it'll just keep scaring me. Mm-hmm. I keep this movie for uh, days where we're ready for something on the intense side, but I have so much fun during it as well. But, but again, I don't want to scare people. It's a different type of intense. Exactly. Yeah. It's all in your head stuff, but I'm a guy who's very much stuck in his head. And <laughs> when you're overthinking a situation, when you're a person who naturally overthinks, this movie will scare the crap out of you. Excellent. Yeah, well said. It's a, it's it reaches that Blair Witch Project level of terror where it's just I'm just unpleasant. I don't want to watch this anymore, even though like no one's getting tortured. There's no blood. It's just I know something bad is going to happen. And it's so unrelenting. They're drawing it out and making you wait for it. That's that's the experience. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. <laughs> OK, so let's start this movie again. Very simple movie. Seventy seven minutes. One of the shortest movies I've ever done on staff picks. And it just starts with the main star, uh, Aaron, played... What's the actor's name? I forgot his name again. Uh, Patrick Bryce, I believe. Patrick Bryce, yeah. He's the director. He's the star, Aaron. And Aaron is driving up from Los Angeles to Crestline, which, again, it's about you know 20 minutes north of San Bernardino. It's not that far from uh, Los Angeles, but it's a totally different world up there. And it starts with him driving up in his car, and he's got the video camera facing him, right? And it's really just him narrating his journey. Exactly. He's accepted a job for $1,000 for a day's worth of filming. And, <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't sound shady at all, right? <laughs> I mean, if I'm, well, he's about 22, 23 years old, I mean, uh, uh, something around, he's a young guy. I can understand you jump into something like that. The guy says, you just bring for a thousand bucks, come up and film me, you know, discretion appreciated. And yeah, yeah admittedly, it sounds a little scary, but I can see where young people may jump at that money. Oh, thoroughly. I mean, in this economy, you'd be foolish not to. But at the same time, you got to be wondering, OK, am I going to end up in a sex dungeon by the end of it? <laughs> That's true. That's a valid question. Yes. 
So Aaron's just driving up to Crestline. And again, this whole movie is in first person. It's shot through video camera. Either Aaron is filming himself or Aaron is filming this other guy, Joseph, or Joseph will be filming Aaron. And there'll be certain times we don't know who's actually filming, which is a, makes a wonderful effect. But yeah, so Aaron's driving up and what, like, what do we need to know about this job here? All he, he doesn't know much going out. He just knows it's going to be out in the middle of the country. And as we, the audience are there, it's nice country. It's isolated, but not too isolated. So you're not on your guard, but yeah, all we know it's a thousand dollars for eight hours of filming. And that's until we actually meet Joseph and find out what the job itself is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, he's driving up. Uh, he's kind of theorizing what this might be. Who's going to pay me eight hours to film them. And he's wondering, is it some, some hot, lonely widow? Am I going to end up in a sex adventure? So like he doesn't know he's a little guarded and admittedly Aaron isn't stupid. He knows this is kind of shady, but he's willing to give it a chance. And again, it doesn't get creepy right away. It, it's, it's relatively normal, at least for 10 minutes, right? Exactly. Well, right about until the time he finds the house, this very nice, luxurious, abandoned house, which just so happens to have a tree stump with an axe sitting in it. <laughs> this very new, very nice axe just very prominently displayed in front of the house, which is, you know, I mean, we're in the country. People are going to be chopping down trees, but red flags, little red flags popping up in the back of your mind, of course. Okay, I got to say one thing. So you said abandoned house in the middle of nowhere. I would have thought that too until I've been to Crestline. Crestline is like all people that live out in the woods. It's all like summer homes, vacation cabins, Airbnb rentals. So it's not quite as isolated as it looks in the movie when he gets there. In fact, yeah, it's not we're not talking evil we're not talking evil dead territory here. We're talking, you know, we're talking people who just come out come out here from LA for a vacation. Yeah, these are vacation homes. I've stayed in houses exactly like this. It is not odd to find axes sitting around or chainsaws because people chop their own firewood up there. It's very much people that want to live off the land out there. So it's it feels a little creepy, but if you pay attention, it's not abandoned. There's vacation homes on the left. There's one on the right. He's not in the middle of nowhere. He's just up at this place he's never been before, and it's got this big long steep stairway. He's got to go up to the, the main house, which is not uncommon for that area. And at first he just knocks on the door and he, no one's there. And he's like, huh, this is interesting. You know, I'm being paid to come out here. No one's here. Then he looks down, like you said, he sees the ax. He's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it's very, like I say, I cannot stress enough. They really make it pop because it is this brand new shiny ax, which I, I don't know if I'd be more settled by a very rusty, clearly bloodstained ax, but it just, I just love the possibility that this, nightmare person bought an axe just for this occasion well yeah i mean the the clean axe is going to give a clean slice through your head if, if that in, indeed is with a purpose so you would want that instead of the rusty one i would say like, obviously you want to make it very clean yeah <laughs> so yeah aaron is just hanging around looking around and again i gotta stress this again it's all first person it's him videotaping through the camera looking around very blair witchy and his host isn't here and Aaron kind of stands there for a while. He calls on the phone, tries to call this guy. No one's there. And then he decides, huh, well, you know, I'm a little unnerved. I'm not entirely sure what I'm doing. No one's here. There's this ax down in the wood, wood pile. So he goes and sits in his car. He figures he's safe in his car. And then, of course, we meet Joseph. <laughs> Which I have to say, with a jump scare. Now, goddamn you, movie. I hate when they do that. Where... <laughs> 
Aaron's sitting in his car. He's just looking around. He's videotaping the area. He pans to his left, and all of a sudden, there's a guy standing there who's pounds on the window says hi and it, it'll make you jump every time and again it's not necessary but again the movie i guess is trying to creep you out so i can forgive it a little yeah it likes to it likes to keep you off kilter and that's the part that works so great here with these jump scares because we get these very sudden very intense moments of joseph but at the same time once we actually get a look at the guy this does not look like your traditional definition of a horror movie serial killer or anything like that this is just a guy, a very nice-looking middle-aged guy. Big smile, big friendly eyes, and, well, as we find out, very little in the way of boundaries. <laughs> yeah, and his, his moods can change at the drop of a hat. That's one thing you can say about Joseph. But anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Okay, so, yeah, Joseph is, what, about 20 years older than Aaron? He's maybe in his 40s? I kind of forgot that dynamic. It's like a, almost like a dad and son type thing. Exactly, which gets even creepier when we go into the um, reason why he's actually here. <laughs> okay, yeah, so so yeah, Joseph's this older guy in his 40s, maybe not the, quite that old, but he's older than Aaron, and he says, wow, look at you, Aaron, wow, you drove all the way out here. And he's just got this big smile on his face, and he's so friendly, like, almost in a Mr. Rogers type way. And then, of course, he just, with that big smile, he just says, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a good day, Aaron. You have such a, a kind face. And, of course, what's Joseph's first move? He wants Hugs. to hug. Yeah, a hug. He wants to hug him. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he just met this guy and is already, yeah. It's Again, he's, he's a nice, seemingly nice guy. And, again, Southern California, L.A. types, you meet a lot of weirdos and a lot of people who will hug you at the first encounter. And it's, you know. Not outside the realm of possibility, but it's still definitely awkward. Yeah, and to be fair, there's a lot of meth up in Crestline, so it's possible he's a meth head. We just don't know. Exactly, yeah. We don't know anything about Joseph other than we just this big, smiley, huggy guy. He just loves to hug. Yeah, he even says a quote here. He's like, you know, let's just get the hug out of the way, Aaron. You know, because this won't be weird later, so let's just do it now. We'll hug. He's like, trust me, at the end of the day, this won't feel weird at all. It'll be perfectly normal. So Aaron's like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I, this is where I get Aaron very much because I've spent so much of my life not standing up for myself and not wanting to cause a ruckus that – after a while, it gets really weird, again, trying to figure that moment of, when am I supposed to bail? When is this actually weird and not just eccentric? I remember the first time I met you. I remember I tried to hug you, and you judo flipped me. It was on instinct. <laughs> and you recovered, and you you know, the nerve damage in your left arm is mostly better. Yeah, and I knew, you know, in 10 years, this hug won't be weird. It'll be perfectly normal. So let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so now they go... Joseph's like, come on up into the house. I'll explain the whole deal. I'll explain. He goes, I know it's weird, a thousand bucks a day to film me, but the story will all make sense. Let's go upstairs. And again, there's no threat. It seems perfectly, he seems like a nice, friendly guy. And we go upstairs, and this is where he's going to explain the deal to Aaron. Exactly. And long story short, he just explains to the camera that he is a cancer survivor, and he beat it but that recently he has been starting to have some cognitive issues. This will become a big question later and things. And it's been discovered that he has a massive inoperable brain tumor, which is unfortunate considering that his wife is currently pregnant with their first child. 
And this tape is going to basically be a message to his unborn son. And this kind of tugs at Aaron's heartstrings. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, that uh, Joseph's got a little baby, going to be born in a couple months, but Joseph is probably going to be dead. He has an inoperable tumor. He'll be gone in two to three months. And so what they're doing is Joseph wants, he's like, just please hang out with me today. Film me. Just keep a record. This is for my son, and we've already named our son Buddy. Buddy's the guy, little kid's name. And, yeah, and he, he even Joseph even says there's a movie out there, a Michael Keaton movie called My Life where a guy is going to die of cancer. He films a whole video diary for his son, for his unborn son, just so his son will know what his dad was like. And again, Aaron is touched by this. He's like, oh, okay, I get, now I get why you'd want someone to film you out here, because this, this is a good cover story. And now I even get why you're a little weird. You're, you're dealing with a brain tumor. You're going to be a little odd today. I can, I can excuse a bit here, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, here's, an exa- here's the exact quote from Joseph. You know, I don't know what we're going to do today, Aaron. Just just walk with me. Just be with me. He's like, and just keep the camera rolling and document me for how I am. I don't, I don't want you to, like, fantasize me, make me better than I am. I just want my son to have an accurate description of what his dad was like. And so, and he's like, are you up for it? And Aaron's like, yeah, sure, why not? And Joseph's like, really? Oh, so cool. This is going to be such a great day. And he, he does pay him up front. In all, in all fairness, he pays him before the job is complete. So at this point, they're just two guys hanging out friends and this quote that i wrote here that stuck with me from that moment where joseph gets real serious and says a partnership is a journey into the heart and i'm real glad it's you right before (laughs) all right let's get to the tub yeah i love that transition (laughs) (laughs) it was very serious and then joseph is running upstairs to the bathtub which naturally confuses aaron a bit Yes. Aaron will be constantly confused by the uh, changing tone of Joseph. Joseph is all about how sad this is going to be. Please document me. Please just be my friend. You know, we're going to go through a journey through the heart together. Hey, I'm going to go get in the tub. Come film me. (laughs) So, again, I can see why you'd say the the comedy moments do stand out. Yeah. I think the comedy makes the horror all the more tense is the thing, because you don't know if Joseph's going to be all laughy or dark at any given moment. Yes. Okay, and and to be fair, I'm going to say a little, uh, give a little history here. I have dealt with people like this before. Like, this movie is obviously a little over the top, but anybody who's a little prominent in on the internet or, you know, in social media will always get readers or fans who are a little odd. And even I, with my tiny little footprint in the internet world, even I have met some of these weird people where they'll write you an email and they'll say, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. And the tone will go from suddenly friendly to creepy. And it will bounce back and forth. And this is just in an email that you'll see sometimes. And I have even seen this. So, like, I, I've kind of seen people like Joseph in real life. And you know instinctively this is not a good person to be hanging around. And it might not be their fault. They might be, like, a borderline or something. But, like, even I have seen this. So this bouncing back and forth is what's going to be so creepy about Joseph because this is real. This is There's stuff like this in the world you got to deal with sometimes. So you wouldn't be talking about me there, would you? No, not you. You are, <laughs> you've been in my life for 20 years. There's other people I'm a little more concerned about. Okay, good. So I don't have to apologize for the collection of your locks of hair that I've got? You know what? At this point, just keep them. Do whatever you got to do with them. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the tub scene here. So they go up to the tub, and Joseph is, like, starting to get undressed. 
And Aaron walks in with a video camera. He's like, wait, do you want me to back out? And, and Joseph's like, no, no, you can film me getting undressed. That's fine. And Aaron's like, well, um, this is odd. And, and Joseph has a great line here. Oh, don't be scared, Aaron. We're going to go a lot deeper places than this today. I love that he also randomly offers um, Aaron a sandwich in the middle of this. Like, that would make him more comfortable. <laughs> okay, so Joseph's going to get in the tub. And uh, I it's guess at this time. point, yeah, I want tubby time. I will give you the honor, Matt. Explain to people what tubbies are. Oh, tubbies. Joseph explains to Aaron that he and his father used to take tubby time when he was a kid and where they would just bathe together. You know, OK, like we don't know how old Joseph was supposed to be during this, but th that's not weird. Right. And since Joseph is never going to have tubby time with Buddy, he wants Aaron to record their first and only tubby time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pant. He's basically Joseph is pantomiming, holding a baby dunking him in the water, you know, sucking on his little feet, his tootsies, he calls them. With a, yeah, to set a picture, all these randomly romantic candles are surrounding the tub on top of all that. <laughs> yeah, so Aaron is filming this dude, he doesn't even know, having a fake tub bonding session with his unborn baby. And it's a really odd scene. Again, it's kind of comedic at the time. But you just realize this could go really weird because Joseph keeps looking at the camera with these weird, almost seductive looks, like winking and stuff, like... What the hell is going on with this Joseph guy? <laughs> but, you know, it's $1,000, and he wants to make sure the client gets their money's worth. <laughs> yeah. So, tubby time lasts for a while. Joseph gives his unborn son a bath, and then it quickly turns to depression. And again, Joseph's mood will jump back and forth, where all of a sudden now he's all sad because he's going to die soon. And it just culminates with him, what, putting the towel over his face and saying he's scared of death. I'm going to die, Aaron. I need a friend. Please help me. I, I'm scared. Like, Aaron, like, has no idea what to do at this point, but he's still being paid to film this guy. Yeah, and it's, he's just here in a professional capacity not to be this guy's friend, but he's also with this guy he thinks is dying from a brain tumor. And it, it's not like you, you can't try to be nice, at least, you know, by standard social mores. and. Then Joseph just says, I could end this all right now, and disappears under the water. Yeah, this is where he decides, I'm going to commit suicide. And that's the thing about this movie. You know something is going to happen. You don't know if Joseph's going to kill himself. You don't know if Joseph's going to kill Aaron. You, do, you, you just have this overarching sense of dread. Something bad is going to happen with this movie. And the, the, the hint here is that Joseph's going to kill himself. It's going to get really dark here. Mm -hmm. At least until our second jump scare of the movie. Yeah, I hate this one. This one sucks. <laughs> yeah, Joseph just bursts out of the bathtub screaming like a maniac and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm a joker. I got a weird sense of humor, man. <laughs> yeah, sorry I pretended to kill myself underwater and then jumped up and scared, scared you. That's what I do. My bad. Although Joseph does say, he does say, it was getting a little too serious in here. Tubbies are supposed to be fun. It was getting all depressing. I had to make a joke to lighten the mood. It's okay. Yep, all, all parents do this with their kids while bathing. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to go to the, uh, the second interaction. Their first interaction is the tubby scene, which is creepy enough. And now Joseph suggests, let's go outside. You know, it's maybe getting a little morose in here because I'm talking about death so much. You know, let's let's go outside. Go go down in my uh, basement closet and pick out a hat. I got some hats in there. We can go out walk in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I know you're laughing because we're about to meet your favorite character in the movie, Matt, and I will give you the honor. Oh, 
God, yes. So basically, Aaron goes down to this closet, opens up a door, and staring him in the face is the world's most terrifying werewolf mask. We're talking wild eyes, long, flowing fur, huge open mouth with giant teeth. And Aaron, like a sane person, screams his head off. Yeah, there's jump scare number three. Yeah, and Joseph just comes downstairs very nonchalant and says, Oh, you found Peach Fuzz. (laughs) This terror wolf is named Peach Fuzz. Yeah, for people who do not know, Peach Fuzz is the third character in this movie. Arguably the biggest one, I guess, if you want to get come right down to it. He is a mask, a rubber mask of a just absolutely terrifying werewolf. And Aaron is terrified the first time he runs into it. And we're going to see Peach Fuzz a couple times later, so don't worry about that. And, yeah, basically the way Joseph explains it, it's that he his dad didn't want him to be afraid of wildlife and so got this Peach Fuzz mask and made up this character of Peach Fuzz, the friendly wolf. <laughs> and Joseph then proceeds to put on the mask and dance with the Peach Fuzz song. Now, my friend, did you write down the Peach Fuzz song? Can you recite it for us? I have, I have learned the Peach Fuzz song. All right, I will I will hand the stage over to you. Give us the Peach Fuzz song. This is, for people who have never seen this movie, this is Joseph explaining to his friend Aaron, who is taping him, who Peach Fuzz is and why Peach Fuzz was invented in the song that the dad gave Peach Fuzz to make children uh, not be frightened of him. All right. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Peach Fuzz. I look like I'm going to eat you up. But I'm as friendly as a rabbit, and I will be your friend, Peach Fuzz. And there is nothing to fear. Very good. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Two years of two years of musical theater class finally pay off. I was really hoping I wouldn't have to sing that. So thank you for taking the bullet. Oh, no problem. I am. I have no fear of humiliating myself anymore. Yeah, so Joseph does this whole dance in the most world's most terrifying peach fuzz werewolf mask. And he will put this mask on a couple other times in the movie to various effects. And it is always terrifying. But, you know, he's the friendly werewolf. He would never hurt you. <laughs> yeah, and this, this dance goes between, like, silly and, again, weirdly erotic (laughs) he's trying to seduce Aaron with this werewolf (laughs) yeah okay and it's not the first time he's gonna try to seduce him with the werewolf mask later too (laughs) (laughs) there's two erotic peach fuzz scenes in this movie which I have to point out oh this is such a good movie (laughs) (laughs) okay again let me point out there's only two actors in this movie there's no music there's nothing it's all first person filmed through this video camera it's just a really odd, unnerving effect when this Joseph guy is just going to go bouncing back and forth. Okay, now we go to the trail scene. This is an interesting scene here. So explain this one. All right. So as Joseph explains, he heard from this lady who ran a taco truck of a hidden lake or a hidden pond nearby. I've gotten this written down to Las Aguas Milagros de Corazón. The Miracle Waters of the Heart uh, from my limited Spanish. I'm pretty sure he gets it wrong on top of that. Um, Where if they find in the middle of this forest a hole in a rock that looks like a heart, it will lead them to a pond that has water with healing powers. And it will allegedly help cure his brain tumor. 
Yeah, this is a legendary place out in the woods, like a Native American shaman place. There's a heart out there shaped, or a, a hole in a rock shaped like a heart. And again, only the pure of heart can be cured by it. And Joseph's like, I want to, I want to go out there, give it a chance. Maybe it can cure my cancer. How's your heart, Aaron? Is your heart pure? And so the next 20 minutes are them just hiking out to this. Uh, it's actually a real, a real place called Heart Rock Trail. I've been there. It's very prominent when I saw it in the movie. I'm like, oh, that's Heart Rock. I know exactly where that is. But yeah, this is a big, long stretch of the movie where they get to know each other for a little bit. Yeah, and that's where the humor starts to die down a little bit and things start getting weird. Yeah, I'm trying to think why it gets weird here. So they're hiking out in the woods and Joseph just starts taking any trail willy-nilly and Aaron's like, um, we're going out in the woods. We don't know where we're going. Do you know how to get back? And Joseph's like, no. But we'll, we'll get back. Don't worry about it. And Aaron is starting to get unnerved because this guy's leading him out into the woods and it's going to be dark fairly soon and he doesn't know where they're going. And Joseph starts talking more about suicide and death. And what else is he talking about here? You know, he seems to be probing Aaron a little bit at this point, you know, trying to find out what kind of connections he has, what kind of person he is. And as we get through yet another moment of Joseph deciding to run off into the woods and then scare the crap out of Aaron again. Jump scare number four. Jump scare number four. Joseph is trying to note in Aaron that it's like, ah, I see you've got a little bit of peach fuzz in you. And he's not talking about the friendly werewolf. He said, when I jumped out at you, you looked for a fraction of a second like you wanted to kill me. And Joseph has this little bit of pride with that. Mm hmm. Yeah, this is interesting. Now, see, again, we know something bad is going to happen in this movie. And now they start hinting that Aaron may have to kill Joseph. And like, is that is that the point of this movie that Aaron, that that Joseph is going to drive Aaron so crazy that Aaron's going to snap? Like, what's going to happen? There's something psychologically going on between these two guys. But yeah, like you said, Joseph, the cancer survivor, is very proud that he jumped out at Aaron and got a look on his face like Aaron wanted to kill him. He's like, "Look at you! You could do it. You could probably kill me if you wanted to." And Aaron's like, "Look, why are we even talking about this?" And this is where this movie's going to start going. Yeah, and it's it's starts getting dark. Very, very soon. Yeah, there's a there's one quote here where uh, <laughs> where Joseph talks about, you know, before I die, I want to make peace with the world. I want to make sure all my debts are paid off. And he's like, you know, Aaron, do you have any uh, grudges? Any, do you have to make peace with anything before you go? Which is an, uh, a very ominous question. Like, why, why would I think I'd be dying soon? I don't think I need to answer that question. But but Aaron says, I have an ex. And, and Joseph says, an axe? And he goes, no, an X. And Joseph goes, oh, I thought you said an axe. Because, you know, I have an axe back in my house. Did you see it? Did you see my axe? And so there's a lot of talk about this axe. And if uh, Aaron thought Joseph was going to kill him, and Aaron says, you know, when I first saw that axe, I thought, yeah, actually, maybe you would kill me. And Joseph laughs. Ha ha, that's funny. And anyway, it's not that funny later. What a story, Aaron. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if Tommy Wiseau made creep. Yes. It feels like that sometimes, I can't say. <laughs> oh, you chopped down a tree and brought an axe. Good thinking. <laughs> God. Yeah, anyway, so they all walk and they go out to the this this trail. And again, I've been to this place. This is a very, very famous trail up in Crestline called Heart Rock Trail. It's always crowded. It's the most popular trail up there. I have no idea how they filmed it with no people there, because whenever I'm there, there's always a lot of people. But yeah, it's really cool. Explain Heart Rock to people. Uh, 
I'm going to be honest, Mario. This one's probably on you. I, it's, it's, a, it's a hole shaped like a heart. <laughs> like, yes, thank you. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing. But, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yes, there's, there's an actual natural foundation out in the woods near Crestline called Heart Rock. And it's like this river has been going through the woods for, you know, thousands and thousands of years or whatever. And they get out there and there's one part that it's actually carved a little formation that looks like a heart. And it's really cool. It looks exactly like it does in the movie. You can see it. It's not actually a very long hike in the in the movie. They make it look like it's like a five hour hike in real life. It takes like 10 minutes to get there. But, yeah, it's just a really pretty heart. And they get there and and Joseph points it out. And Aaron's like, holy shit, there actually is a heart here. So the myth was indeed true. There's a heart out here. Yes, and they bathe in the water because, hey, why not give it a try? And then, of course, Joseph has to go and do something as creepy as Joseph would do and carve their initials in a rock with and, and then puts a heart around it. Yeah, this is where we know the turn is coming soon, where uh, as they're bathing together and baptizing each other in these sacred waters, <laughs> Joseph carves J plus A and puts a little heart around it and carves it in the rock. And I have to say, the next time I'm up in Crestline, I got to look for that rock. I wonder if that's still there. After eight years, I have no idea, but I wish you the best luck in finding it. Yeah, okay, so... From here on out, their, their fun day is almost over, and Joseph says, oh, you know, we, we, we hiked out here to the rock, we bonded, we've shared secrets, you wanted to kill me and pretend you're peach fuzz. Let's go out and get some pancakes. So they go to a restaurant called Billy Bear's, which Joseph says he grew up going to. They have the best pancakes in the area. And yet this is where Joseph's story starts to become a little inconsistent, you know, where he's looking at this menu like it's the first time he's ever seen it. Yeah. As an audience, we don't know how full of shit Joseph really is, but it's, they're going to start tipping their hand that perhaps he's not some guy who's dying of cancer that just, just needs a friend. No, perhaps he's looking for someone else. <laughs> someone that he could draw a little heart around. Yeah. And at, at this point, yeah, the two of them start having their heart-to-heart, -heart, no pun intended, uh, over the lunch table and, you know, he Joseph winds up asking Aaron if there's anything he's been ashamed of in his life. And Aaron shares this really intense story from when he was a bedwetter as a kid. And then we get to Joseph's side of what he's ashamed of. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron, yeah, his big uh, confession is that he peed his pants as a kid at school once and it was embarrassed him. Joseph's equivalent to that as well. When you first showed up at my house, I was a voyeur and took a bunch of pictures of you and video of you in secret because I wanted to watch you before you, you met me. <laughs> and Aaron's like, huh, you know, that's kind of a little creepy. And Joseph kind of fesses up. He's like, I'm sorry, you don't want to be my friend anymore. I'm sorry, that was wrong. I've, I've crossed a boundary, haven't I? Yeah, he does that a lot. Yeah, so Aaron, he, he what, he asked Aaron to forgive him, right? Please forgive me that I was creepy. And Aaron's like, yeah, okay. I mean, whatever it's done is done. And, you know, I mean, he was meeting a new guy for the first time. Maybe it's not that creepy. I mean, it is a little creepy, but, you know, you, you hear weirder things about people who meet people on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, as Craigslist goes, this is pretty normal, I think. Probably. <laughs> okay, so here we go. The movie is about to go really dark really fast now. So they've been having a fun day. He's been videotaping this guy, Joseph. The guy's story maybe doesn't check out that he has lived out here, that he has cancer, that he's dying. But Aaron's like, you know what? Money is money. I filmed the guy. I hung out with him, whatever. 
Now they go back to the guy's house at night. And at this point, Aaron's obligation is complete. He has filmed the guy. He's done his eight hours. It's done. And Joseph wants to invite him back into the house at night. And Aaron is going to do everything he can not to go into that house. Yeah, it's this wonderful, wonderful shot at night on those long, narrow stairs going into the house. And Joseph is just backlit by, you know, one of those security lights outside. So we're just getting this kind of empty shadow of a guy who is very affable, but also kind of slightly guilt trip threatening and trying to get Aaron to come inside for a glass of whiskey. Yeah, you know, again, you've seen horror movies. You know this is a bad idea. Do not go into this guy's house. And Joseph begs and whines and like, well, you know, we can't finish the night until we have one drink. Just one drink, please. And again, you're one step ahead of the movie. You think Joseph is going to drug him and, you know, do whatever. <laughs> do the thing that makes him feel like God at some point and then there'll be no more Aaron. But that's not where the movie's going to go. But Aaron is very smart. He's going to take his... He will go in. He says, one drink. I'll go in for one drink, but then I have to go. And Joseph seems so happy and so excited. And here we go, and it's going to get really twisted now. Yes. And, of course, I think this is where we have Jump Scare 5, is it? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I just wrote in my notes. Joseph jump scares him again at the top of the stairs. And he's like, sorry, I keep doing that. And I just wrote, Jump Scare number 5. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, you wrote, God damn it. I wrote, boom, for every jump scare came across because it's they're very jarring as jump scares go. There's very little lead up to them, unlike most movies. Well, yeah, there's no music because most movies cheat. They kind of do the suspenseful music and then the jump scare. There's no music in this. so You don't know they're coming. They're just popping out of nowhere. Yeah, except for Joseph screaming like a maniac. That's the closest we get to music in this movie. And the Peach Fuzz song. And the Peach Fuzz song, which you can sing it again. I can I can just play it here again if my listeners request it. <laughs> All right, you got to do the actual one over the end credits or, you know, at the at your post credit song. OK, let's go to the drinking scene here. This is an interesting scene. So they have their one drink together and Joseph just sits there like, you know, this day was so great. And what a great day. I made a new friend. And 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 then he starts talking. Why did you agree to do this? Why did you come up here to film a complete stranger? And Aaron says it's about the money. Right. Or This is the money discussion. Right. Exactly. And it becomes this kind of awkwardness over the transactional nature of it, because Joseph looks offended. Like, I thought we were friends sort of deal. Yeah, it's a real awkward discussion where where Joseph's like, well, you know, I have a lot of money. If you need money, I can help you. And Aaron's like, no, I just I took the job because it was a job. I don't need money. And it gets awkward. And again, Aaron just wants to leave. He doesn't want to be this guy's friend. This guy's weird. He's 20 years older than him. Aaron just wants to leave. And now the uh, confessions start. As a prelude, this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. My wife and I joke about this one all the time. This is one of our favorite quotes just to throw around to each other. But I'll get to that part where Joseph explains that he lied to Aaron about something and that he lied about the origin of Peach Fuzz. And, you know, OK, whatever. You know, OK, you want a creepy mask? Fine. But then we find the story, I'm not going to call it the actual story. I hesitate to call it the actual story because we can't trust anything Joseph says. But he says he has something that he needs to get off of his chest. And Aaron then pretends to turn off the camera. We don't get any visual of this, but we just get a black screen with subtitles. And it's both amazingly weird and amazingly creepy. 
as Joseph describes the fact that once upon a time, he noticed the internet in their house was slowing down between him and his wife. And then after taking it into a tech guy, found out that the computer was slowing down because it was full of animal pornography <laughs> and that there were only two people in the house and that he was not looking into animal pornography. And so his wife must have been looking at animal pornography this entire time. So much that she clogged up the browser. <laughs> yeah. And knowing that his wife was into bestiality, he wanted to test her one night by pretending to go out to work and then instead left the house, bought the peach fuzz mask, snuck through a window one night, tied his wife down and proceeded to have violent animalistic sex with his wife. And we don't see Aaron's reaction. We don't see Joseph's face during any of this. We just get this really, really creepy story about him raping his wife. Right up until we smash cut to him finishing filming the video for Buddy again. <laughs> and they say, yeah, they, they wrap this up and then senses the awkwardness between them and says my favorite line of the movie, Aaron, did I freak you out with my rape story? <laughs> and as you do, yeah, that, that is a hard uh, transition to recover from the story where you rape your own wife and now you have to give your hugs and say goodbyes. Fee and I repeat that line to each other every so often when we're watching horror movies, and it's always good for a chuckle. <laughs> Did my rape story freak you out? Because, you know, because Joseph has this look on his face like this is the most normal story you could have told someone. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. I, 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 I guess I didn't catch that until the second time, the, the symbolism with uh, Peach Fuzz there, that Peach Fuzz was just a thing to turn on his wife because she likes sex with animals. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, Aaron is like, hell no, I'm getting out of this house right now. I don't want to hang out with this guy who dressed up like a werewolf to rape his own wife, and then she got off on it, apparently. He's like, no, I'm out of here, goodbye. But, much to Aaron's chagrin, he's not going to be allowed to leave. Nope, yeah, because he drank some whiskey, and Joseph says, no, you're over the limit. Why don't you stay the night? Yeah, please, there, we have plenty of room. Please stay at my house. There's nothing... It's so warm and friendly here. I'm sure no. I'm sure no harm will befall you when you fall asleep in my house. I'm sure Peach Fuzz won't come out and try to rape you or anything. And so, yeah, Joseph, Joseph tries whatever he can to get Aaron to stay the night, and Aaron is not going to do it. But unfortunately for Aaron, he cannot find his keys. Yeah. Okay. The the sec sequence of this is very important. So. Aaron tries to leave. Joseph says, no, no, don't. You know, you've been drinking. It's dark. It's windy down the mountain. You're going to get lost. Please stay. And he just begs and begs. And Aaron doesn't want to, you know, get into a problem with him. So Aaron says, okay, well, we can do one more drink and then maybe I'll leave later. What Aaron's going to do is spike Joseph's drink with some Benadryl to try to knock him out so he can get out of there. And at that point when he's out, then he's going to lose his keys, right? He can't find his keys because Joseph has taken his keys at some point earlier. Right. right. No, he had, he, they were both conscious when he found his keys were missing and figures he needs to knock Joseph out in order to find them. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And so the Benadryl works and Joseph passes out um, by the hearth on the fireplace. And naturally, Joseph needs to make this as weird as possible and starts growling in his sleep and touching himself in his sleep while Aaron has to find the keys on Joseph, maybe. <laughs> 
Yeah, again, it's just going to be weird and twisted throughout the rest of this movie. And you know something bad's going to happen. You're just waiting for the shoe to drop. It's going to take a while. But yeah, so Joseph is knocked out. Aaron has drugged him. Aaron cannot get out of this house because he can't find his keys. And again, Crestline's out in the middle of nowhere. You're not going to get out of there without a car. There's no Uber. There's no taxi. You're not getting a bus out of there. So he's looking around for his keys. And at one point, while Joseph is knocked out, Aaron's looking for the keys. This is where Joseph's phone rings. And this is where we get a little valuable information in, into the psyche of Joseph. Yes, his, his phone rings, and not wanting to wake him up, Aaron runs into the other room with Joseph's phone and picks it up to find a woman on the other end of the line, a woman named Angela, the name that Joseph had given for his wife. Except this woman claims to be Joseph's sister and that her brother has some mental issues and just very politely says to Aaron, you know what, you just want to get out of the house right now. Just leave the house. Doesn't matter that you don't have your keys. Just leave and run as far away as you can. <laughs> yeah, if I could drop a solid on you, get away from my dangerous brother right now. And Aaron even says, am I in danger? Am I in danger in this house? And she's like, look, I don't want to say much. Just leave. And here we go. This is one of the creepier scenes in the movie where Aaron decides, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm just going to walk out around the house. I'm going to walk out of the house and get out of here. He hangs up the phone. He turns around. And where Joseph was sleeping, Joseph is not sleeping there anymore. And I love, I just love the little touch here. It's all first person. It's all seen through Aaron's camera. The camera literally does a double take as it looks at the hearth where he once was. It's not there anymore. I just love that little touch. Yeah, and that, that's one of those great moments where nothing is scarier than something. We're like showing the floating stick in Jaws. Suddenly knowing that Joseph is not there is way scarier than actually seeing him. It's fantastic. And again, that's why some people would say this movie's not scary because stuff doesn't happen. I would argue the opposite because nothing happens. There's just no Joseph. This part of the movie is so excruciating where Aaron is looking around the house, a house he doesn't know, in the dark. They're out in the woods. He knows Joseph's in this house somewhere, and Joseph is dangerous, and he cannot find him. And again, we've had five jump scares up to this point, so you, you goddamn know one is coming soon. And lo and behold, right outside the house, he turns around. Boom! There's Joseph, and he just is staring monotone at the camera and says, Death. <laughs> yeah. Death. It's coming. Nothing we can do, Aaron. And like, again, Joseph... Yeah, Joseph has been drugged. He's on Benadryl. He's a little loopy, and Aaron's just filming him, and, and Joseph just looking at him slack-jawed with this big old white moon face in, the, in, the, in night vision. And he's like, I, I don't want to die, Aaron. I, I don't want to die. He goes, oh, Aaron, and he starts crying. And again, we haven't really mentioned this before. This movie, the acting is really good in this movie. They really sell a lot of these scenes. This scene in particular, the guy playing Joseph is so good, I think. Yeah, it... I mean, there are two actors for the duration of the movie, but I would argue that it's really the Joseph show. I mean, because he is on screen for about 60 to 70 percent of the movie, and he is utterly captivating every second he's on screen because he can mix that affability with that threat to him. I, I've not seen many actors do that at, that convincingly outside of, I want to say, like, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, but there's very, I was thinking of the same person, but there's very few scenes of Hannibal Lecter sobbing and crying and saying, I need a friend. I'm so lonely. I'm like, 
Mark, like Joseph is so pathetic and Hannibal Lecter never quite is. And it's a really quite a interesting performance by this guy. Yeah, because again, we are, we as the audience are in Aaron's shoes and it's so much wondering, is this guy dangerous and should we be pitying him? You know, what is actually going to go wrong here? Because we know when you pick up the movie, this is a horror movie. Something horrible is going to happen. Something frightening is going to happen. But why do we feel so bad for this maniac? Yeah, this this scene in particular, he's so good. He starts saying, I love you, Aaron. You're such a good friend. I love you so much. And Aaron's trying to console him. He's like, you know, I have to go, Joseph. I have to get back to my house. But we're still friends, okay? What we had today was real. We bonded. You know, I love you. I can... I know you're troubled. I'm willing to help. Look, I'm not angry. You know, uh, just give me my keys. Let me go. I'm not angry. I still will be your friend. And this is where we're going to get a violent turn where Aaron says, you know, I just went talked on the phone. I talked to Angela. I know the real story. And this is where Joseph, just with a minute he hears that he talked to Angela, runs out of the house, runs down the stairs, and blocks the front door. So Aaron physically cannot leave the house now. Oh, yeah, but he's not alone as he's blocked the door because we lose him on camera for just long enough for Joseph to have put on the peach fuzz mask. <laughs> you said there was a second erotic peach fuzz dancing scene, and, well, I mean, we don't have goodbye horses playing in the background, but we do have a guy blocking a doorway in a werewolf mask and just, you know, black shirt, black pants, dancing, grinding erotically against the door while <laughs> preventing Aaron from leaving. It is so awkward and scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've always thought I've never seen a sexy werewolf dance in a movie. And then I saw Creep. I'm like, all right, now I've seen it. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, check it off the bucket list. <laughs> so Joseph is blocking the front door. This poor Aaron kid cannot leave. Joseph's got the world's creepiest werewolf mask on. And Aaron is legitimately terrified now. He's like, Joseph, let me go. And Peach Fuzz just shakes his head no. And he goes, are you going to let me go, Joseph? No answer. Why are you doing this to me? Are you just trying to scare me? And Peach Fuzz nods his head, yes. And Aaron's like, well, I'm terrified now. Okay, I'm terrified. You win. You win. Just let me go. Please let me go. And like, I, like we said, this is where Joseph, dressed as Peach Fuzz, starts grinding erotically against the door, literally doing hip thrusts, insinuating that Peach Fuzz is about to rape his second person. And this is, uh, again, the movie's called Creep, and it's very apt. And at this point, yeah, this is when Aaron decides to do something, to stand up for himself. We see him with the camera charging Joseph, and that's where things cut out for a moment. Yeah, that's my instinct. When I see the erotic grinding werewolf, my instinct is to charge him. Yeah. Anyway, we don't know what happens. The camera cuts out, and that's kind of the end of it. And we don't really know what happens until later. We jump ahead a few days in the story, and now we kind of get a backstory on what happened that night. Exactly. I mean, it, it almost feels like normally this would be the end of the movie, but then it keeps going. As, you know, we see the struggle, we see a bit of a struggle, cut to black, and then we cut to another video taken outside during the day of Joseph with a couple of full trash bags in the middle of the woods and a shovel as he starts burying these trash bags. <laughs> and without any context, it's like, oh my God, did he murder Aaron? Did he kill Aaron? And then we cut to Aaron is watching this on TV and explains, 
So, yeah, I got this uh, sent to me the other day, this DVD of Joseph burying these trash bags. Yeah, not only burying the trash bags, literally digging the grave and looking at the camera. So at some point after this this creepy night out in Crestline, Aaron went home. He talked about, you know, I got out of there. I got my car towed, came back home. A couple days later, I got this video in the mail and oh, oh, it's nothing creepy at all. It's just Joseph digging a grave, putting bags in it look like a dead body, and then staring at me. He goes, I'm not entirely sure how I should interpret this video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because at, at this point, we still don't know how threatening Joseph is. He's just really, really weird at this point, as far as Aaron's concerned. Yeah, although there is the problem here. We know We know he's weird. We don't know he's threatening, but Aaron does say, he sent this video to my house. That means he knows where I live. That is not good. That is definitely not good. But, you know, like any good sort of haunted house story, uh, Aaron just decides, you know what? I'll throw this disc out. That'll be it. Spoiler alert. That is not it. Yeah, because the stalker usually goes away really quickly, right? Oh, exactly. This is where the Joseph dreams start. And... I got to acknowledge they do such a good job here setting up the mood and this feeling like Joseph could be anywhere. I have dealt with Joseph dreams myself. I really wish I could claim not that not to be the case, but this is just unbelievably creepy from this point forward. Yeah, I was going to point that out, that there's only two actors in this movie. We're halfway through the movie. They have been in every scene together up to this point in the movie. They will never be in a scene together the rest of the movie until the very end. It's all just Aaron or glimpses of Joseph or Joseph shooting video of Aaron. Like, they're never in the same shot together. It's really impressive how they do this because the actors never actually share a scene the whole rest of the movie. Yeah, but, you know, Joseph will be there in one way or another for the rest of the film. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Aaron, we get a lot of shots of Aaron... Uh, videotaping himself at night. He's like, you know, I'm having a hard time. I escaped Joseph. I, uh, you know, got that video of him digging my grave. I've, you know, I've fortified my house. I've changed my locks, but I'm having a hard time. I have nightmares. And I know you'll enjoy this, Matt. What are some of the nightmares he's having of Joseph? Yeah, he has dreams of jo him and Joseph and Peach Fuzz in a hot tub together. Joseph pouring wine all over Aaron like it's tubby time and only to find out that the tub is filled with blood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're in the hot tub. Yeah, Joseph's in the, the, the peach fuzz mask. Aaron is in a baby peach fuzz mask, and he's getting a tubby from peach fuzz. Which is, that's a good creepy dream. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's all his description, but it's, you know, the power of the story itself makes it deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. Because again, we know Joseph is going to come out again at this guy's house. It's just a matter of time. And they're going to drag it out and stretch it out and just mess with you. This whole stretch of the movie is just as creepy as all hell. Because the next day, I think, is where the package arrives. He gets the first big box of items from Joseph. Yeah, it's like this moving box is suddenly on his front doorstep. And, you know, Aaron is naturally nervous about it, but takes it inside and wonders about opening it up. And, of course, this is a horror movie, so he opens it up and finds right on top a DVD and a Santoku knife. <laughs> you know, I, I just, 
I, I had to look this up on the name on my knife block because I have a knife exactly like it and wanted to be sure. That is indeed a Santoku knife. I use that for cutting potatoes, and here we are. Joseph sending him a box, a, a gigantic box with a DVD and a knife. It's like, oh, okay, that, that's a normal thing to do, right? I mean, we send boxes like that to each other all the time, Mario. <laughs> yeah, when your stalker is sending you a knife in the mail, this is where you start to get a little bit worried. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, at this point, Aaron decides, I'm going to play the DVD, and naturally it's Joseph on the DVD, and he's talking you know, rather apologetically, saying, I sent you a gift. You know, it's, it's a little weird. I understand me sending you a video of me burying trash in the middle of the forest, and tells him to dig deeper into this box full of packing peanuts and finds a stuffed baby wolf inside. <laughs> okay, let me say, I got, I got Joseph's exact speech written down here. Yeah, just to clear the air, I want to apologize for the last video. Sorry, man. I wasn't in my right head, and it was manipulative. I feel bad. But in my defense, you did drug me. I found the Benadryl bottle at my house, and I got to say, pretty cool move. And so what I love about the scene, again, we're hearing Joseph's voice, but we're not seeing Joseph. You're only watching the victim, Aaron. This whole scene, we're watching his reaction to this video and this disbelief that now he's got a weird gay stalker coming after him. And he's just in utter horror when he sees where this video is going. I'd like to point out something that's exceptionally creepy about this scene that you don't know until you see the sequel. Because um, he and I recently watched Creep 2. Joseph, because they have a scene where he sends another one of those stuffed wolves to someone. But we see it through the perspective of the hidden camera inside of the wolf. Ah. Interesting. So, yeah, there's a very good possibility that he may have sent the baby wolf in as kind of a surveillance device to watch Aaron. Mm, that's an excellent point I'd never thought of. Okay, let me finish this speech here. So Joseph says, you know, we're even now tit for tat, but just to clear the air, I sent you this gift. Just to show you we're cool, Aaron. No hard feelings. I encourage you to press pause and open the box and find the third gift I sent you. So Aaron reaches in and gets this stuffed baby wolf, like Matt said, and... <laughs> Again, this might be the creepiest speech in the whole movie. i got to read this word for word. Joseph says, I love wolves because they love deeply, but they don't know how to express it, and they're often violent. And quite frankly, they murder the things that they love. <laughs> you just see Aaron, his head in his hands, and go, oh my God, what kind of stalker do I have coming after me now? And so and Joseph says, inside this wolf I sent you is this beautiful heart. And yeah, sometimes it's misguided and sometimes it murders things that it loves. But this little wolf is so cute and it reminded me of you, honestly. Like that time that you wanted to murder me. I want you to embrace that inner wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Aaron's like, oh, fuck, are you kidding me? And here, and so and Joseph continues, take the stuffed wolf and enjoy it. And more importantly, take the knife and don't be afraid to murder it. Because when you take a knife to something and you gut it, you really dig inside. I don't know, man. This is all just beautiful stuff. And hey, I got a little surprise in there for you. <laughs> and Aaron, and again, the fact that Aaron is watching this video, would you see his reaction? He's like, to quote Ralphie in A Christmas Story, oh, fudge. <laughs> yeah, and then Joseph ends the video with, see you soon, buddy. <laughs> God. Okay, I'll turn this over to you. So he reaches into the wolf that Joseph has sent him. And what does he find, Matt? Aaron doesn't use the knife. He rips into the baby wolf with his bare hands. 
and pulls out this gold heart locket, the cheesiest, cheesiest looking heart locket, and opens it up to find two pictures, one of a smiling Joseph and the other one of Aaron. But it's the great thing about that is it's one of the surveillance pictures <laughs> that Joseph took of Aaron from outside the house. <laughs> and what does the locket say on it? It says J plus A forever and a little heart or something. Yep, yeah, it looks exactly like what he carved into the rock down at the, you know, Las Aguas Milagros. Yeah, so this is nice. Now Aaron has a creepy, you know, homicidal gay stalker who knows where he lives. This is not going to end well. No, it is not going to end well. And at this point, yeah, he, he does finally, finally call the cops. You know, we'd be yelling that at him for the entirety of the movie at this point. And naturally, they can't help because, I mean, he doesn't even know the guy's last name. He doesn't have any proof of danger or anything like that. Doesn't have anything that ties him to him. And they're just like, oh, well, you know, call us if he does something. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's also one other detail I forgot there. That cabin at the start of the movie, that wasn't Joseph's cabin. That was just some rental cabin he had broken into and was pretending to live there. So he doesn't even know where this Joseph guy lives. So. Honestly, the cops really could not do much. They just say, you know, if he breaks into your house, let us know. We can't do much. And he's like, well, thanks a lot. I'm sure I'll sleep well tonight, guys. Yeah, Aaron is not sleeping well. He's still having nightmares, if anything, and starts starts hearing sounds at night that he knows just aren't his imagination anymore, like heavy thudding sounds on the walls. Yeah, this might be the creepiest scene in the movie. This is the one that really gets me. It's uh, Aaron at night. And he's just laying there and he's videotaping himself. And it's the old Silence of the Lambs night vision. He's like, you know, I can't sleep. I'm having nightmares. I keep thinking of Joseph and these dreams and me in the hot tub. And just as he's talking, bam, he hears a bam behind him in his house and he just jumps up. And that it is a really creepy scene. The whole rest, the next five minutes of this movie. Yeah, because it's just Aaron is walking around his house, his apartment, this safe place for him. And he knows he is not alone. But, you know, he knows Joseph isn't inside or anything, even if he's freaking out thinking that Joseph is, and sets the camera down at one point and sets it down facing the front door. And he's standing, he's looking for the knife that Joseph sent him because now he does need to probably murder uh, something. And as he steps to the side, you see through this glass front door, Joseph is just standing there, all Michael Myers-like. <laughs> It's a very quiet jump. It's a very quiet jump scare, but very effective. Yeah, I was going to say that's a John Carpenter shot where Aaron is standing in front of his glass door and then he moves off to the right. And all of a sudden, there's the silhouette of Joseph staring at him through his front door. It's it's really effective. And again, for such a low budget movie made by like amateurs, that is a fantastic shot. God, yes. I mean, that had to take a lot of planning and it was executed beautifully. So now we know Joseph is indeed at his house, just circling the perimeter like a shark waiting to come in. He's going to get him. Aaron knows he's in danger. The audience, as the audience, we know he's in danger. It's going to happen. We just don't know when. And this is where we get the excruciating shot of Aaron going outside to see what banged on the side of the house. And this is the scene where you think there's going to be jump scare, but it never actually happens. And it's almost worse. Yes, yeah. If the, if you know if Joseph was there with a knife and no pants, we would accept that a lot easier than just seeing a couple of knockdown trash cans. 
Yeah. So Aaron just goes outside, see all his trash has been knocked over, thinks this thump has been, he's like, oh, damn, raccoons knock over my trash. And that's the end of the scene. And boy, from here on out, buckle your seatbelts for the rest of this movie, because here we go. Now it's going to get creepy, because now Joseph is going to start sneaking into his apartment and filming Aaron. Yep, yeah, because we see at one point the camera turn on, but Aaron's asleep, and it lifts up above him briefly, as obviously Joseph has found his way into this apartment, cuts off a lock of Aaron's hair and keeps it. <laughs> and th this is one, again, where I'm going to name drop the sequel, because they Joseph tells a similar story about this in the sequel that it makes this scene even creepier in the first one where he talks about the first time he killed someone, and he talks about lying down naked next to the body for a very long period of time before he decided to take a lock of its hair and leave. So the probability is pretty high that during this entire scene, Joseph is naked. Oh, God. I never even thought of that. But I, I did notice he, he pans his camera over Aaron's sleeping body very appreciatively before he cuts the hair. Yeah, it's uh, he likes to keep things awkward is what it comes down to, I think. Yeah, but Joseph is getting closer and closer. Now he's cutting Aaron's hair while he sleeps. Now we're seeing it through Joseph's camera. Oh, God. And here we go. I, I kind of forgot we're almost at the end of the movie here. Basically, there's only two scenes left. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so the next morning, Aaron wakes up, or maybe a couple days later, and he's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. I got to show you guys this. He holds up his camera. His security screen around his window has been cut during the night, which is like five feet from his head. There's a DVD that has been placed there from Joseph, and it just says, my last video. And Aaron's like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? And so now we get the last video from Joseph, which is it's just a nice little day in the country, this one. And has, again, one of my favorite lines saying, you know, I get it. You get a grave digging video in the mail, you throw it away. It happens, yeah. Okay, so let me set this one up for you. So jo Aaron has received the last video in the mail from his stalker who now knows where he lives, has broken into his house, is circling him like a shark. You know this cannot possibly end well, but there's one more video that Joseph has sent him before he's going to uh, make his move. And uh, <laughs> as Aaron watches it, it's, it's Joseph sitting out by Lake Gregory, again, a really nice lake up in Crestline. And Joseph's just sitting up there saying, you know, I just want to talk to you, Aaron. So what does he say here? What he's mad about the, the locket more than anything? Yes, because he went he went through Aaron's garbage. He found the locket. He found the DVD. And like I, I, the quote I was joking about, he understands throwing away the DVD, but it really, really upset Joseph on a fundamental level that Aaron threw out the locket that he clearly put so much work and effort into. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. You don't want to piss off your stalker. And he basically begs Aaron for one last meeting because, you know, I just want to clear the air and then you never have to see me again, which, you know, I'm sure every stalker says at one point or another in their career. Yeah, <laughs> I can change, baby. I can change. I promise it'll never happen again. Yeah. So I have Joseph's actual speech here. I wrote it down because this is a long speech. He says, you know, I'll be honest. When I saw the thrown away locket, it sent me into a spiral. And I had some inappropriate and wrong thoughts about what I wanted to do to you and to myself, honestly. And that was a red flag. And it made me realize something, Aaron, that you were right. You were right to throw the locket away because we're not friends. I realize that now. Our whole relationship is built on bullshit and lies that I made up. And that's why I'm sorry. And that's why 
I want to be done with it. That's why I'm filming this right now, right here by this lake. And he basically says, I want to be real and honest with you. I just want to apologize for everything. I'm just a lonely person, Aaron. That's just all it is. I'm lonely. I'm sad. I don't know how to make friends. I'm, I can be creepy to people. I don't mean to be. I just need a friend. And what I would like you to do, <laughs> dun, 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 just come meet me one last time so I can explain to you who I am and you can see me for who I am. And this is, this is his pitch. This is my last video. Just meet me in person. Do me this one solid and I will never bother you ever again. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, of course. I'll jump right at that chance. But, you know, Aaron, yeah, Aaron is a nice guy. He is not necessarily trusting of Joseph, but there is enough pity there. And Joseph did ask to meet him in a very seemingly public place. So it's like, fuck it. In case this is real. I got to do this. Yeah. And to be fair, Aaron does take precautions. Joseph says, meet me tomorrow. And he shows this video of this lake that they saw earlier in the movie, Lake Gregory. Meet me tomorrow here, Lake Gregory, 11 a.m. Look, it's a public place. There's no danger. He's panning the camera around. He's like, it's, it's safe. No surprises. I promise. I'll, all I want to do is talk to you one last time. Give me a chance to explain myself. And that's it. I'm just a lonely person. Look, Aaron, you're all I have. Please do this one thing for me. And, and, and we cut. That's the last video we see from Joseph. And Aaron's like, we just cut to his face. He's like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and yeah, ultimately, he decides to indulge Joseph, but, you know, taking his precautions, he goes to the lake, but sets up his video camera in his car to watch all of this and says, I've got 911 on speed dial and I'll be safe. Or so he thinks. Yeah, I have got to say, this is one of the fucking creepiest scenes I have ever seen in a movie. I cannot, I can almost not put into words how horrible this scene is. Because th this is the one, this is the one of those rare scenes in horror that feels completely 100% real. Like, I am actually watching something terrible about to happen right here. Yeah, I, I, was, I was listening to the DVD commentary, and the actor says, my mom can't watch this, this scene. And I'm like, yeah, you and me both, lady. I don't like this scene. I love this movie. I have a hard time with this scene. And I don't have a hard time with scenes in horror movies in general. This is a tough one. Okay, let me paint the picture. So Aaron goes to Lake Gregory. Again, really nice, really well-populated lake in Crestline. I have no idea how they filmed it on a day when there was no people there. It must have been the winter or something. And Aaron's just sitting there on a bench. And again, he's smart. He's set up a video camera so there's a witness. He's got his phone on speed dial. He's looking all around him, 360 degrees. No one can sneak up on him. He's taking every chance just in case this asshole jumps out at him. He can do something about it. Yet, it's not going to go well for him. So we see Aaron sitting on this bench. And there's one of my favorite little moments of deflating a potential scare where you hear the sound of a chainsaw in the background and and he and he looks he's on the bench which is a fair distance from the camera and you see him looking around terrified and it's just oh oh it's just someone doing some gardening <laughs> i'm glad you mentioned that because i love that moment he's sitting there you know you know Joseph's going to kill him. You just know it. There's no way this movie isn't going to end that way. And the chainsaw starts, and Aaron whips around, and there's nothing there. And he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> and again, Aaron knows. He's all jumpy. He's looking around. He's looking at 360 degrees. There's no way this Joseph guy is going to be able to sneak up on him, yet he still does. 
Yeah, and it's just, it's this weirdly cartoony creeping that Joseph does in a full trench coat and everything. And Aaron is just not looking at this point behind him as Joseph whips the trench coat open, puts on the peach fuzz mask, <laughs> and then pulls out that big shiny axe of his. And th this is like an Elmer Fudd sort of creep. He's just on his tippy toes, walking up behind Aaron, and then just pulls out the axe, swings it, and this is the part I say that it feels like you're watching someone actually get murdered. We see Aaron take the axe right to the back of the head, and he just falls. That's it. Done. Oh, it's so horrible. Yeah, I mean... There's no audio in the scene. We're just seeing it from the video camera that Aaron has placed on his dashboard to record everything. As Joseph sneaks up behind him, really nice day at the beach. That axe to the top of the head. I, for, you know, for years, I wondered how they filmed that. It's so realistic looking. There's no blood. It's really just an axe straight down into a guy's head. And there's a Foley sound like, funk, like that really bad. And he just falls over and it looks so real. And I, for years, wondered how they filmed that, because it looks way too realistic, and this is such a low-budget movie, there's no special effects. Did you ever read how they filmed that? I have not found that out. I always assumed it was just some low-budget CGI. Have you found out? I did. I just read about this. I heard, I saw it in some interview or something on the DVD. Oh, tell me. Tell me. So that's basically the end of the movie, that Aaron has taken every precaution. He's gone to the lake. It's a public place. He's got it all on video. Yet at one point, he looks down at his phone just to, I believe, program 911 or to make sure Joseph isn't trying to call him. Joseph creeps up behind him, whacks him in the head with an axe, and that's literally the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. Jo Joseph does kill Aaron, just like we knew, with the axe. So how they did that effect, and this is not how I expected it. They admit it on the DVD. What he does is he holds the axe up, and he's, you know how slow he's moving, how deliberate he's moving? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's very Elmer Fuddy. Uh-huh. When he lowers the axe, he's lowering it at the same speed, and he basically just taps him as slow as he can. And what they did is they sped up the footage. Oh. So it's just sped up. But they, because if you look, when they speed up the footage, it would have sped up the water. So that the only practical special effect in the movie is the water speeds up right there. So they had to CGI the water right behind him so it didn't speed up as well. That's the only special effect. Really, he's just hitting him as slow as he can, and they speed up the footage. I love it. That is so simple. <laughs> yeah, it's so easy. And it's so, again, it's one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in a horror movie. But it's shot from far away. It's not a close-up. It's not really especially graphic. There's no blood. But that sound, you will not forget that sound when he hits him in the head with the axe. And yeah, that, because it's filmed at, you know, not a horror movie kind of angle, because it's filmed from a video camera, again, this feels like something you'd see online somewhere in one of those dark corners. And it's just, it's uncomfortable to watch because it, it truly feels like what you might think a murder would look like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's terrible. And like I said, I know Lake Gregory, I know Crestline. If I ever go out there with you, I'll show you exactly where that bench is. It's, it's hilarious now that I've been there. I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, so poor Aaron dies just as we knew he would. And this whole movie was just a setup for Joseph to have somebody out to his house, creep him out, get into his life, and then kill him. And you think that would be bad enough. Oh, look, this is the roadmap into the mind of a, of a sociopath. But it's actually worse when we get to the epilogue, isn't it? Yes, because we see in very clear de 
tale that Aaron Aaron is far from the first person he's met. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've seen some criticisms of this ending. And I, I get the criticisms. It sets it up for a sequel. It makes it more, you know, horrific than it is. Okay, let me paint a picture for people. So after Aaron dies, we cut to Joseph watching the Aaron death video. And he appears to be masturbating as he's watching it, I should point out, if you listen. <laughs> oh, God. And then it's just, yeah, it's just Joseph talking to the camera. He's like, you know, Aaron, that video is so great. I love watching that final video with you. He's like, you were so smart. Everything you did was so smart. But why did you turn your back to me at the last minute? That was so dumb. And then I realized why you did that, Aaron, because you're the greatest person ever. You trusted me. No matter what I did, Aaron, you trusted me and you believed I was good and I would never harm you. And this is why I will always love you, Aaron. Of all my victims, you were my favorite. And it's so nice. God. It, it is twisted. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you get the one jump scare. We see the footage one more time of Aaron dying. And then Joseph runs up to the camera and jump scares it, which is totally unnecessary. I hate that's my least favorite scare in this movie. But now we see the epilogue of him setting up his next victim, right? Yeah, and now he's, you know, on the phone, and he's calling himself Bill now. Um, extra creepy detail, again, to call into the account the sequel. In the sequel, he call, Joseph calls himself Aaron throughout the entire movie. Um, so presumably he takes on the names of the various people he's killed, and he's answering the phone, has someone else with uh, on the line to record him for a thousand dollars and basically says you know what this is going to be a great day as we go to this closet of videotapes and dvds and even old school film canisters of presumably all of joseph's previous victims yeah this is a great shot you see the video cabinet of every single person joseph has killed and there's men on there there's women on there i think someone on uh imdb trivia said if you count the tapes there's 57 so he has had anywhere from 34 to 57 victims before Aaron. <laughs> but Aaron was his favorite because Aaron trusted him the most. And you see Joseph putting the DVD of all the Aaron footage in there. And it's got a little heart under Aaron. <laughs> it's oh, it's so sweet. And, <laughs> and that's the end of the movie as he's setting up his next kill. So Joseph is just some dick who does this for fun. And uh, although that does open up some questions. How much does his sister know about this? Like his sister... Okay, now it, it does it, it, a different question. I'm going to ask a different question. They filmed this movie several ways. They didn't know what the ending was going to be. If you, The more you think about it, I don't think they knew that was going to be, be the ending. That does not match the sister's phone call earlier in the movie. I would agree with that thoroughly, and that's one of my few complaints because, again, Fee and I love the sequel, but his sister is never addressed in any way, so it feels kind of like a hanging plot hole, plot thread that just – is they did not think through all the way because I, I've always seen it being played. And again, part two seems to back it up that Joseph is a solo act. So why someone else would know anything about him and still be alive is iffy to me from a story standpoint. So I, I agree with you there. We needed that exposition and that, that phone call is creepy as hell, but it, it begs a lot more questions than it answers. Yeah, the phone call with the sister. That's the one thing that I noticed. Yeah, it's, it jumps out as me as well because that she has to call in that moment to warn him that Joseph is dangerous for the story to work. So who is she really? Yeah, so again, to, to point this out to people, 
when they were shooting this movie, they improvised it all. They didn't know if it would be a horror or a comedy. So that's one of the things that, like you said, a hanging chat, it really jumps out. I'm not entirely sure that matches the ending here. Yeah, I would have cut it, but I can't actually explain a better way for them to have given that really, really creepy moment. Okay, and with that, we have wrapped up one of the, again, most minimalist, creepy movies I have ever seen, but at the same time, one of the most impressive uses of basically taking nothing and turning it into a movie. Like, it's just two dudes with home video and home cameras just shooting stuff. Even my wife was like, did they have to get permits to film this movie? And I'm like, I don't think so. They're just, it's like some dude walking around with a camera around Lake Gregory. I don't, I don't think they needed permits or anything. I have no idea, but like, it's so amazing what you can make with just two dudes and some cameras. Yeah. My, my closest uh, guess on that is anything they did in public. It was, they were probably there before major opening hours. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, explaining the lack of crowds. I'm sure they found the time of day when people were least likely to be there and just ran like hell to get everything filmed. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is that chainsaw moment at the end with the bench. I bet that was not planned. I bet someone just had a chainsaw around that area, and he just reacted to it. And that's that's just beautiful kismet right there. I mean, they <laughs> made they made that into one of the funniest scary moments right there. God. Okay. So I have never seen the sequel. I'm not really a sequel guy, but you are far from the first person who has told me the sequel to this is pretty good. In fact, I've had. A lot of people argue I should have done Creep 2 on staff picks, not Creep 1, that it's even better. Would you say it's as good or better than the first one? I have not seen it yet. Okay, my assessment on it is as follows. Creep 1 is scarier. I do believe Creep 2 to be the better movie, though. It's uh, much more... And my main theory on that is Aaron is, again, being played by the director slash writer, and he was obviously very busy with those parts. Um, part two introduces a new character who is just an actor, not a director, not someone who's focused on anything else. And so we just get a chance to see two really good actors bouncing off of each other for the whole movie. Okay. And I do know the dynamic is different. Like this one, it's two guys. So it's kind of homoerotic. There's a lot of <laughs> unintentional. He's a little too romantic for Aaron's, you know, peace of mind. But I know that dynamic changes because in the second one, it's a woman, right? It is a woman, and she is actually kind of a match for him because she's she's not a serial killer, but she is someone who is – she basically hosts a YouTube channel where she goes and meets the weirdos of Craigslist and is really trying to make a name for herself by doing this. So no matter how weird Joseph gets, she just leans into him even harder and weirder, and it's this – balancing act between these two characters that's so great because on top of everything else joseph is dealing with a midlife crisis as a serial killer wondering like you know this isn't even fun anymore this is kind of a job to me <laughs> now now that sounds like a comedy it, it is again a very dark scary comedy i cannot recommend the second one enough it may not be everyone's cup of tea i cannot be sure that you'll love it but it is interesting. And again, it's the same creative team and it's not just more of the same, you know, it, it follows more of the aliens approach of it's not trying to be scarier than the original, but it is trying to build on it with more and that more works here. 
Yeah, and that's all you can ask for with a sequel, that it's not just, you know, stealing the world building from the first one and doing it again. At least they're trying something different. Exactly. And, yeah. And Mark Duplass is back as Joseph slash, in this one, Aaron. And he's, again, not as scary. They don't lean into the jump scares as heavily. But he is just as pitiful in a very, very different way. And we get to see more of his actively manipulative side, which is interesting because now we know that he's a murderer rather than just some pitiful cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. So it, it changes up the dynamic in a very fun way. Now, are there any tubbies? Um, yes, there are tubbies. <laughs> and there's act- actual full frontal nudity in this one. Oh, good. Yeah, that was, I was thinking that was the one thing. I wasn't quite uncomfortable enough with this movie. Let's add some full frontal nudity. Oh, it and it is there, and it is every bit as uncomfortable as it's meant to be. But again, the heroine of this one really changes up the dynamic, and she is a match for Joseph. I cannot explain any more without getting any spoilers, but I will recommend you go in knowing as little as possible and see if you enjoy the ride. Although, are you saying, my friend, that she runs a YouTube channel about creepy people on Craigslist? Now, I'll have you know, I know Craigslist. There are no creepy people on Craigslist. <laughs> they are salt of the earth people. So that I should report you for slander, my friend. Uh, do your best. Yeah, for a thousand bucks, you can come film me. I'll watch as I report you for slander. Come out and film me. It'll be fun. I was trying to think of a good appropriate joke, and I completely whiffed there, so I'm leaving this section to you to edit to make it sound good. <laughs> okay, so any more any more things you want to say? We've already gone like an hour 30. We're much longer than the movie itself is. But again, I have so much to say about this movie. I know you have so much to say. I really am excited we finally covered it for our staff picks. Anything else you want to add before we sign off here? I just want to say, if you got if anyone listening here is into a scary movie... I want to say give this one a try. It is intense. It is frightening. It will mess with your head, but it is it is an experience and a ride, and I cannot recommend it enough. Well said. And if you ever want to go to Crestline, I will drive you around and give you the uh, Peach Fuzz reality tour. <laughs> I think we'll have to set that up sometime. That Just uh, no axes, please. <laughs> axes? Oh, axes. You know, Matt, I have an axe right here. Did you see it? Never change, Mario. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll let you before you go. I'll let you plug your new podcast, your book. What do you want to plug? Um, okay, you can find my horror novel Bennytown on Amazon. It is available in digital and paperback formats as well. Check out the Shadow Storytellers podcast at theshadowstorytellers.com, available on Spotify, iTunes, and all major streaming platforms. I have to say, I've read Bennytown. It's a fun book. Matt loves to kill people in creative ways at theme parks. I will say that. He seems to enjoy that. (laughs) A lot of them are based on real incidents is one of the big ones I need to point out. Once again, everybody, thanks for joining us for Horror Month here on Staff Picks. Again, my name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies that deserve more love, and I'll be dressed up like Peach Fuzz and grinding against the door as often as I can. I will talk to you guys later. Stay away from the lake. See ya. Hello, my name is Peach Fuzz. 
I might look like I eat you up. But I'm as friendly as a rabbit. And I'd make a very good friend.